the last four books of the Old Testament, if you get in that vicinity, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, get in that neighborhood and we'll turn to the book of Haggai. Okay? Turn to the book of Haggai. Not Haggard, Haggai. I want to speak today on the subject of does your bucket have a hole in it? Ricky Nelson made that popular. How many remember Ricky? There's three of us. Okay. Well, Haggai said it first. And uh, it's just a two-chapter book, five sermons by Haggai. Haggai's probably 70 to 80 years of age when he delivers the message. And uh, we come to it, and we're going to see uh, this issue that the children of Israel have been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. Did you ever ask yourself why 70 years instead of 60? Why 70 years? Well, Jeremiah said it was God collecting the rent that he had told the children of Israel, when you go into the land, every seventh year, rest the land. Guess what? Their six-year harvest, he, God said the six-year harvest would be good enough to carry them through the Sabbath year. But like any human being, greed set in. And they said, we can't let the land rest. We had a bumper crop last year. Let's plant again. Let's hope for another good year. And so God, when he raised up Jeremiah, said, you tell Israel for 490 years you didn't give me my Sabbath. I'm going to collect the rent in Babylon. You see, God's the landlord of the land. You talk about raising the rent, he can raise the rent. Or he can put you out of the land, takes him off to Babylon. And while there, the Medo-Persian Empire comes along. And under Cyrus, even as Isaiah prophesied, Cyrus gave a decree about 538 B.C. Go back, go back to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. He even gave up uh, the shofar, gave back the temple furnishings, the gold and silver, Go and set up your house where you worship God again. Remarkable favor. Well, uh, there's about five, oh, 50,000 remnant Jews came back out of Babylon. They came into the land, and uh, they started work on the temple. They stopped the work, and then they have a 16-year delay, 16-year delay that they didn't do anything. And in the midst of that delay, that procrastination, God sends a prophet. Some believe that he saw Solomon's temple. He remembered how majestic it was before it was ransacked, robbed, and burned by the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar. And so he comes on the scene, and there's two points we want to look at today. Very simple. First of all, 
what the people are saying, what God has to say. That's that's the first point. What the people say, what God says. Second part, straightforward. If you'll obey me, I'll return in blessing you. You've got to obey what I'm telling you, and I will bless you. Even if you're a child of God, he will not bless you to disobey. And he will not ignore disobedience. We grace people, say grace covers all. It covers everything but sin and disobedience when you're too hard-headed to repent. God knows how to get our attention. And uh, so we'll look at these two points, what the people say, what God says. Two, if you'll obey God, his blessing will return in an abundant way. So let's start reading. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, son of Satil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. This is a 16-year delay. After 16 years, you're still saying, God's house can wait. God's house can wait. 16 years. So, overwhelming procrastination. Why? Why did it ever stop? Why did they ever stop? Several arguments. The political one. The Persian Empire was very rocky. Some believe that they actually used the prophecies of Jeremiah to say, hey, 70 years have been prophesied against this place. No need of starting ahead of schedule. We don't need to get involved with this. And yet, the 70 years most likely had passed. It's kind of like how people use prophecy today. Jesus is coming any moment, so there's no need to get involved. Jesus is coming any moment. Uh, uh, Let's build a fallout shelter. What did Peter say? The end of all things is near, so start loving each other. Start praying for each other. Start using your spiritual gift towards one another. Start serving. Start giving. Start evangelizing. The coming of the Lord is never an excuse to do nothing. That's just a prophetic, messed-up mind. He told them in Acts 1, quit looking up, get busy. There's a lost world out there that needs to be reached. I haven't called you to stare in the heavens and say, come again, Lord Jesus. So they used prophecy, maybe. Then they had opposition. If you read Nehemiah and Ezra, you had two guys by the name of Sanballat and Tobiah that were always calling meetings and saying, you can't do this, and Uh, Nehemiah, we need to go into another counseling session. And Nehemiah said in chapter 6 of Nehemiah, I don't have time to come down from the wall and talk to my critics. I don't have time to come down from the wall and quit the work and meet with those who say it can't be done. Some of you would improve your Christian life if you quit running with critics. You won't ever do anything for God running with the folks that say you can't do anything. 
Don't run with the folks that say you can't. Are you here? Breathe heavy. Just breathe heavy. Okay. I know every time I'm gone a little bit, everybody gets real sleepy. Just, you know. Uh, and so you say the time hasn't come. Tomorrow, mañana, later. God's word can wait. It's not that important anyway. Because they had messed up priorities. And listen to what God says. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Uh-oh. We got what the people have been saying. Now God's got this 70-year-old prophet. And when he speaks, and I asked myself when I saw this, I wonder if when I preach, people ever hear God. That's easy to say is the preacher said. He didn't say Haggai. He said God spoke through Haggai. Can you hear God when men preach? Oh, my. You remember what Jesus said? Let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I don't think he meant for everybody to grab their ear and see if they got an ear. No, it's internal hearing. Can you hear? Or is it another nice sermon? I'll hear people say, well, it was a nice sermon. Sermons weren't meant to be nice. Was it the truth? Was it God? Did God say it? I know I heard all the jokes. I heard all the stories. Did God ever speak? Haggai said, God spoke through me, and you want to become like the RCA dog, where it said he's listening to his master's voice. You remember that? RCA records, you look for that dog. He's listening for his master's voice. Now listen to what he says. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses? while this house remains a ruin? Ask the question. They're paneling their houses. They're putting on extravagant things for houses that were made out of stone, mud. Some believe the wood that they're paneling their houses with was the wood that had been collected to rebuild the house of God, but had lying laid in a field for all these years. They said, we might as well put it to use. And they started paneling their houses with it. So they got into home projects big and said, hey, we need to rebuild. No, no, uh, we're adding on a room. Uh, we're refurbishing. Carpets are ordered. It's always our house, our project, and God's looking on. He said, isn't it something? If it's for me, it can wait. If it's for them, it's right now. God said, let me tell you how I'm responding to your priorities. Listen to what he says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. And so they got into a vicious cycle. After they had a poor crop, the next year they didn't want to give up the seed to sow for another crop because they may lose it. So they were sowing less, getting less, and so they were in a vicious cycle of economic 
failure. They, they just, they couldn't break it. He says, you eat, but you never have enough. They were suffering from sickness and malnutrition. They could not get enough food to go to bed at night without their stomach growling and the stomachs of their children becoming swollen with malnutrition. They couldn't get enough to eat. You drink, but you never have your fill. And this is an interesting word. Your vintage is so weak, the alcoholic content is so weak, you can't even drink enough to get drunk. That's really the, the meaning behind Your drinking is not water. It, you're drinking the fruit of the vine, and you like to drown your problem. But you can't even drink enough that satisfies that even to get a buzz from it. There's, there's not enough vintage to even have an effect on you. He goes on. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. And that's a miserable condition. Their clothing was so thin. Jerusalem is higher. Let's say about six, I think it's about 1,200 feet above sea level. So it's, it's a little bit mountainous. It's not the Sierra range, but it's high. It snows there. It gets cold in the winter. And he's saying, your clothing doesn't keep you warm. You're cold all the time. Why? Why? What's, what's going on? He said, you earn wages. Yeah. Only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Your bucket's got a hole in it. Everything you're making is going right out the bag. Since you've not put me first, I'll see to it that your check is going to be evaporating every payday. Cars will break down. Worse machines will break. Kids will need more clothes. Somebody gets sick. This... You, you didn't get a tax return. Matter of fact, you owe about 3000 this year. God said, I moved on your purse, and I'm going to let all your prosperity go right like a hole in the ground. So, why, you can't do that. He said, I can't. I'm doing it. This is what the Lord says, verse 7. Give careful thought to your ways. I want you to go up to the mountains bring down timber, and start building me a house so that I may take pleasure in it. But you wouldn't do it, so this is what's been happening. You expect much, but you see it turned to be little. What you brought home, I... Can you just do like... There went my paycheck. There went my crop. Oh... The moths ate all of our woolen clothes, so we're going to freeze this winter. The grapes didn't yield, and they didn't ferment. He said, everything going on in your life, I've taken away all prosperity. Because, you see, I control whether a man prospers or not. I do. Not Wall Street, me. You ought to be scared, especially if you're not honoring God. If he's not your priority, and if you're pros, pro, uh, procrastinating about putting him first, he's saying, my breath is strong. I can blow it all away. I can 
I can show up the hole in your economic bucket. Therefore, you, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew. I've caused a drought on the fields and the mountains and the grain and the new wine, the olive oil, and everything the ground produces. You make money, but you don't have anything to show for it. You got clothes, but can't get warm. You've got crops, but they're not enough to feed your babies. Then he says, if you'll obey me, if you'll obey me and get this project done, I'll be with you, I'll bless you, I'll keep you. Very simple. You say, not now, I say now. You say, God shouldn't be first. God's a last priority, and God's saying, I won't be slighted without serious consequences to you. See, economics is one of the ways God talks to human beings that they tend to listen. It's very materialistic. Uh, I'm not a prosperity preacher, but I've got a prosperity God. You can't prosper without his help. You cannot prosper if God doesn't bless you. You know, you think you've got a lot of money? I've talked to guys, said, you know what? We had a nest egg until she got cancer. And I had a man tell me that. And our insurance had lapsed just before the diagnosis. Uh, we've been living without insurance. We spent all of our savings, everything we thought we'd have. Cancer stripped all of our resources. Had a friend of mine that you helped to bury his wife. He said, I either bought her medications at 5000 a month, she was a serious diabetic, or I made the house payment, so I lost the house, bought the medications, and lost everything. They say more people filed bankruptcy last year than who graduated from college. Uh, I read this report. I got it from Randy Alcorn. Things about people and uh, money. Some people consider uh, to be an American, you ought to be owning your house, two incomes, husband and wife, and that they're more desirable than having children. In our country, the population's kept up. It was primarily African-American, and now it's Latinos that keep our population up, and we're up around 300 million plus. The angels quit having babies. And a lot of it was this, uh, double income, no children. Uh, we don't want babies uh, in the way. We can't own, own a brand new Corvette and raise kids. We can't make our trip to Europe. We would rather be without children and have money than to have children. Do you think that's worth the trade-off? Don't, don't answer, especially you double-income folks and you're not pregnant yet. <laughs> Maybe there's other reasons you're not pregnant, you know. I just met a man uh, when we were in Texas. I believe they said that they had a picture here. They had 54 grandchildren. I believe they had five children. And uh, we said, wait, how, how many, how is this possible? I said, well, we taught them to do what it takes to have children. Oh, okay. Paid off. 
54. I mean, one son, they had 10 children, a girl had five, and then they went, I think they had 30 some odd great grandchildren, only 24 grandchildren. Would you rather have money than a life? I mean, you think of it, and this is going on all over. Um, one couple said, with our lifestyle, we just can't afford good child care and all the things we like. Uh, the average American, this is Aunt Randy Alcorn I get this from, the average American shops six hours a week, but only 40 minutes a week with their children. Six hours in a mall, shopping for what you don't need. You had to add on a new room to house all the clothes you don't wear. And 40 minutes for the child. Now, that's Randy Alcorn. Where he got the stat, I don't know. But six hours in a mall, some shopping center, 45 minutes for the kid. Uh, by the age of 20, the average television viewer has seen one million commercials. They say 90% of all divorces, money plays a major factor in it. And you really better get to count money if you get a good divorce. Assets tend to be split. Are you depressed? Everybody's got to deal with money. And here God is saying, I have not been blessing you, but if you'll go and obey me, get the lumber, go. I tell you in verse 8 of chapter 2, all the silver and all the gold is mine. I'll finance you doing my will. I'll be with you doing my will. He said to Joshua and to Zerubbabel, I'll be with you. Be strong. And the Spirit energized their spirit. Put me first, and I'll supply everything else you need. Put me first, I'll take care of prosperity. Obey God. Obey God. Put God first. Seek first my kingdom, and you'll quit being a worrywart about all of this life. Is that not what he said in Matthew 6? Let me... Second part, obey God, honor God, and he will bless you. Let's just rehearse it in the book. Look at verse 7 and 8 again. I'm just going to underscore as we go through. Verse 7 and 8, give careful thought to your way. Go up to the mountain, bring down the temper, build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. This is not just any old house. This house will say, my presence is going to come back and visit the nation. Number one, do that. He said, when you didn't do that, I took away your prosperity. You ought to get the message. I controlled the rain. I brought the drought. I brought, get right with me, and I'm going to lift the curse from you. I'm going to lift it. Then, in chapter 2, verse 15, now, give careful thought to this. From this day on, consider how things were before one stone 
was laid on another. They eventually start building, but he reminds them again, let me tell you how it was like when you didn't obey, when you didn't make my house a priority. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there was only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, until you laid the foundation, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. I have plagued you in all your procrastination and delay and not putting me first. I am a great God. I should be first. Honor me with the first fruits of everything you've got. You remember what Malachi said they did when an, a lamb was dying and was diseased? They would go and offer it to God. And Malachi said, you're offering diseased animals to God. You wouldn't give it to your covenant, but you'll give it to your God. God just will take anything, you know, because he's just kind of a scrub boy to meet all your needs. Oh, no, 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 no. He's the Lord of hosts 14 times. He's the Lord of all the armies and the powers of God, and you're treating him and snubbing him like he's a flunky God running around taking care of you. When will you honor him? When will you do what brings him pleasure? He can care less about our paneled houses. Just had a couple saying they were getting older and they said, we're going to have to downsize to a 4,000-square-foot house. <laughs> and I thought, mm. and, and then they already were saying, and then we know the next step will be a, a care facility, and we visited one that cost $6,000 a month, and I thought, downsize? I've never got upsized. <laughs> because what everybody's standard of living, what you deserve. Oh, yeah. Did you have a shower this morning? I hope you did, but I mean, was it warm? Anybody got carpets? Anybody got a house? There are homeless people. Did you know in the two-thirds world, there's only dirt floors? I watched a Jimmy Carter special that he's dedicated his post-presidency years to fighting the guinea worm. Anybody ever see this? And it showed films in Africa where the major, major disease among these dear African children was guinea worms because there's no sanitized water. You drink water out of the same pond that the animals defecate in, and the children get guinea worms, and the guinea worm, it was atrocious, because most of those children just had shorts or something. All of a sudden, one day, a worm emits out of their skin, and that guinea worm could be 
uh, 12, 24 inches long and just taking all the nutrition from their body. So they look malnutrition. All they need is a clean drink of water. East Bay Mud gave you clean water today. See, most Americans, they've done this in Money Magazine. They ask people, what would prosperity look like to you? And the record came back that prosperity in this survey, everybody said, if I had double what I have now. And it went, if I made 30,000, I need to make 60. If I'm making 50, I need to make 100. And then they asked, but the average American, what would you consider being wealthy? He said, at least to be worth $2.5 million. You know, our dad always said to us, I grew up with the saying, a poor man's riches are his children. So your mom and I had seven, and you've kept us poor. A poor man's riches. We're a spoiled people as a whole. We have more than any generation probably in America. The prosperity has been overwhelming. Giving hasn't increased. Greed hasn't decreased. Uh, and our self-centeredness has not decreased. Nothing's too good for us. Nothing's too good. Bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. And this is what was going on here. Hey, I'm into my house project. I'm into us. We can make it without the God of the exile. We forgot about this God. We're spending all our money at Home Depot. We need cedar. We need to really decorate this place. And the prophet says, God's not pleased. And ever since you've been doing this, you've been bringing hail, mildew, everything. But notice, they finally obeyed. And the day they laid the stone for the house of God, notice verse 19. Are you there? Is there yet any seed left in the barn? That's talking about the olden days up to this time. Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. Watch. From this day on, can I hear a congregation read the rest? Did you get it? From the day you obeyed me and you laid the first stone to build my house, I said, I'm going to turn on the rain from heaven. I'm going to remove the mildew from the crops. I'm going to start giving you clothes and keep you warm. I'm going to start healing up the hole in your bag. Today, prosperity will return to you because you obeyed me. From this day on, you're going to get better. When will that first day be for you? When will you begin to honor this God? You see, there's something about us that uh, we always arrange to come out ahead. I read a uh, uh, sermon by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones of London, famous preacher there, 
And he heard a man preach, tells it as a true story, that a um, uh, farmer and his wife, uh, they had uh, raising cattle, and they, their favorite cow gave birth to twins. And uh, it just so happened that one was red and one was white. And one day the farmer came in and he told his wife, good news, uh, our cow just gave birth to these twins. And he said, God uh, seemed to speak to my heart that I want to honor him with one of these calves. And uh, she said, well, great. Which one? He said, well, we'll deal with that later. He said, but I'm just thankful God gave them to us. And so they went along, and uh, uh, one day he came in the house a few months later, and this is what he said. I'll quote it so I don't miss it. In a few months, the man entered the kitchen looking very miserable and unhappy and said to his wife, she asked, what's troubling you? He answered, I have bad news to give you. The Lord's calf is dead. <laughs> but she said, well, you had not decided which was to be the Lord's calf. Oh, yes, he said. I had always decided it was to be the white one, and it is the white one that has died. The Lord's calf just died. It's always God's calf that dies. It's always God's calf. You got to keep yours alive. I was going to give it. I had a man tell me, I can give you a quarter of a million dollars to build this building. And uh, he said, I can write you the check now. And I, I couldn't say anything. I had to be humble. You know, I'm a pastor. And, uh, uh, and I'm thinking, well, why don't you write it? And he did write 125000 And I thought, well, that was a good start. But he, he, he never did give the rest because he went bankrupt. You see, I, I'm getting ready to do it tomorrow. Tomorrow. See, I'm talking about three kinds of people in this place. I'm talking to known givers. They've already learned these lessons, and they're saying, amen. Go forward. They can't say amen around you because you might get offended. So they, you got to be real humble. When you talk about money, we're all supposed to be all this. Oh, baloney. If it's for God, I don't have to be timid. If it's for God's program, God's kingdom, why can they sell girls on the streets of Oakland with more boldness than we'd sell the gospel? Amen. Pimps are making quite a living off of our streets. And drug addicts are doing pretty good themselves. We come to the church and act like we don't have the privilege of supporting that which is eternal. This is the time to give. I was nostalgic in our trip to Dallas because I graduated 32 years ago in 86. And I met with people that are now in seniors' homes. I met with people now 88, people that afflictions, health has fled them. Uh, they're sick. They're just counting the days till they die. They can hardly walk. Uh, those that were very close to me and that I looked up to 
are not being cared for, this and that. And all of a sudden, you pinch yourself. You know what? I, I, I'm running right behind them. And I, I talked to this one dear brother. I gave all my books to a missionary to take to Africa. I can't haul books around anymore. I got rid of my car because I, I can't drive anymore. My legs have gone. And I was just thinking how life would just strip you of what you got anyway. Wouldn't it be wonderful to say, I went out honoring the Lord with my first fruits. I went out giving to the things of God. I went out believing in things eternal. And when this body of mine decays, I'll have a home beyond the river that no one can take from me. I'll never forget what John Patton said when he was getting ready to go to the New Hebrides Islands where cannibals made him sleep in trees at night. He'd tie himself in the trees. And the Scottish Presbyterian man stood up and he said, you're a fool to go to the New Hebrides. They're cannibals. You'll be eaten. You'll be devoured by them. And John Patton said to this sincere man, he said, my dear brother, and you too will be eaten by worms someday, and it makes no difference to me if it's worms or cannibals, just so long as I serve God. Why are we saving our life? Unless you lose your life for my sake and my kingdom, you will never find your life. We become hedonistic, materialistic, self-centered. We are the spoiled church. I was talking, one of our sisters, Anna, was telling a group of uh, people promoting a ministry, made the comment, well, I'm trying to get diversity in this group. I'm trying to get this and that. And, and humility, she was saying this. For she said, then she pointed to her face. I'll never forget. She said, you see, I'm Asian. I'm an Asian woman. And many in our clubs are Asian. I want other ethnicities. And it spoke to my heart. I thought, oh, Anna, we ought to learn from the Asian church where their churches, where they went underground for 50 years, where their pastors were imprisoned, where their pastors were killed under communism. They're a suffering church, and they became an abounding church because God always brings out of a suffering church a born-again church. We never do good in affluency. We usually drift. And so they had fallen in love with their homes and out of love with God's house. And so I want to say this. I'm, I'm done. Then our young people want to come. My wife bugs me a lot of times. She made me go to Awana Wednesday night. My wife. I said, I'm the senior pastor. She said, I said, you go to a one. <laughs> what do I, I don't, I'm not mad over that. She said, what's wrong with you? You're so isolated. You don't know half the things going on in this church. I said, well, sometimes I don't want to know. <laughs> I went to Awana. What a joy, Matt. She all those kids. See, I sat in here. I said, oh, we're getting to be an old church. I dare you to go over to Juana on Wednesday night and say, somebody's having babies. <laughs> somebody's having babies. And, we got, and you ought to go over to that building and see the improvements, the doors, the paint, 
the sound system. I'm telling you what improvements have been made. But let me tell you, when I went there, I'm walking around, and I, I meet three Ethiopian sisters. I don't know if they're in this service. Is any of our Ethiopian sisters that I met here? Well, I get over here. I meet, you know, parents. They, they get children. They want to. And so I'm introducing myself, and they say, are you the janitor? I say, hey, I'm the pastor. <laughs> and, and so this woman here, I'm talking to her, and uh, she's different. I said, what is it? What is it? She said, I was baptized in Ethiopia. I was religious in Ethiopia. But she said, I was an evil woman. She said that. She looked beautiful. I couldn't imagine. You know, you can't imagine an evil heart with a beautiful face. And she said, I, I was evil. I didn't know Jesus. My husband left me a year ago. And five months ago, I met Jesus for the first time. It wasn't religion. I got born again. And she started in, and she was so vivacious. And so I said, you mean you don't have anything to say against the church? You don't have any criticism? You haven't met all of our members yet, have you? <laughs> I mean, you, you haven't got with the critical crowd yet. No, no. She said, I'm born again, pastor. She's just like that. She said, I know him. I know where I'm going. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't be this enthused. And then, and then, then she said, and, and let me tell you, she pointed to the sister to the left. She said, right there. said, you preached on Good Friday, and Jesus saved her. She was saved on Good Friday. Oh, do you think? I want to go to more Awana meetings. And then, then the sister over here, yeah, we love his word. We love this church. We love what you're doing for our children. We're glad we're in a born-again church. And I thought, Kids are running everywhere. They're playing. It's kind of the final night. What am I giving my offerings for? It's sure not for brick and mortar. The building you can keep. But if you give me a place where a kid can learn about Jesus, you give me some facilities where I can get the gospel out. Let me tell you, let me tell you, we weren't always in this place. 18 years we met in dumps. The theater, I don't care how sanctified you want to make it, it was a dump. Ask Malcolm. I tell you, I thought God was against me, and I said, I don't like your sense of humor, God. This is a dump. I went out of here. We had to stay there anyway. Humiliating. No place to park. No dignity. But guess what? We met. We sat up and broke down chairs for 18 years. In 1990, we landed over there, and we grew. Our kids, you, Ted, I see Ted Montoya there now with our youth group, all that. Let me tell you, this is only a tool. I'm not given to tools only, but if I can reach a kid, reach a child, and we're going to be taking a love offering to help our kids go to camp. But what are you giving to? Just meeting those people. Then I went to the youth meeting Friday night and saw what Anna and a lot of our young people, what they're doing, beautiful. Last night, I donated my ears to the band as they blasted them out. 
but trying to rescue kids, trying to make, you know, some of you are too isolated. You're only running with your age. You ought to go visit the Awana. You ought to go visit the youth group. There's something going on. You just don't visit. You come in Sunday morning, and many of you come in late. God forgive you. And some go, and, and you just got this little circle. You like cement, all mixed up and hard. You, and haven't been around a born-again person. I can't tell you what it does. Just, and then I talked with Sean Frazier last Wednesday at Awana. Sean, do you know him? I think I finally know him. I think I finally know him. My mama's prayers, this church, I used to race little Sean when he was six years old. I met him after service on Sundays, and we raced every Sunday on Sunday. Him and his brother Bruce never thought he'd become a hell's angel, but now he's become God's child. That's worth it. That's worth it. That's what we're about. And if you're not born again yet, we will bust ourselves. We will stay up all night if we could just see you come to put faith in Christ. We want you to know Christ. I want you young people to come. We're taking a special offering today to help our young people go to camp. I went to camp for less than $20. This cost about $700 a kid. Includes the bus. It's going to be uh, uh, 60 of them are going. And we got kids. If there's any kid that moved on the campus today, we're going to have them here. We want you to see. I want them in the service when I preach, but they're wanting them to get a pure word, and so they, they get other places. But uh, somebody put a Bible out down there? Okay. Yep. Here's Sean and Manny and these... And we're going to pray over this group. And I'll tell you what we'll do. Uh, hey, this is what we needed. Good, Greg. I'd have a hernia if I did that. And, and you know, when you come by, it wouldn't hurt if you think you could do it. Actually touch one of our young people and say, I'll be praying for you. We hope they come back saved. We hope they come back called. You're not going to like the theology of this, but I was 15 in 1959, and a little woman from Arkansas named Trella Hatton preached that night. Uh, in my circles, they preached. You guys, they testify. But she preached, and that's the night I was called. We had sawdust on the floor. We met in a barn. That's where our sanctuary was. But 1959, I drove the stake, and I've never looked back. Because that night, Isaiah 6 was burned on my heart by a little woman, weigh about 110 pounds, and was a whirlwind. I'm hoping God will change you kids. You'll come back. To, I'm not sending you up there just because you could swim. You could swim at the Y. They get speakers and an environment. I'm hoping God lays his hand on these precious girls and boys. Father, we can give our money, but only you can reach their heart. 
we can, uh, as we've done in the past, this is a wonderful, generous people. And we want them to go because we want you to touch them. I want you to speak to them. Get them away from maybe a bad home, bad peers, bad influences from school, and just a week to be around Christian speakers, Christian music, other kids struggling, trying to find their way in this world. Lord, I'd rather pay the tuition of one kid than have it sitting in some bank account making 1% interest. May we learn to gladly part with money and invest it in things that are eternal. We just pray, Lord, do a supernatural work this youth camp. We strengthen our youth workers, give them energy, a divine uh, uh, strength and wisdom to help our precious kids know Christ, live for Christ in a Christ-hating world. Please do it. Please do it, we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen, amen. Now, maybe you kids could get on the floor, uh, at least one get on the floor, and one stay on the steps so people could access you. And uh, let's count ourselves dismissed and bring your offering up. And uh, uh, I could hum, but I can't sing right now. So, God, you're dismissed. Move. If you want to give, come and put it on the Bible.